customers really demanded and industry really wanted to meet customers where they were and where they are today, uh, which is absolutely for 100% for clean energy uh, in the future. Welcome to Electric Perspectives, a podcast that explores how America's electric companies are working to deliver the reliable, affordable, secure, and clean energy that powers our economy and our everyday lives. The show is brought to you by EEI, the Edison Electric Institute, which represents all U.S. investor-owned electric companies. I'm your host, Brian Real. Happy Earth Day from EEI and our member companies. On Earth Day and every day, America's electric companies are working to get the energy they provide as clean as they can, as fast as they can, while maintaining reliability and affordability for the customers and communities they serve. On today's show, we'll discuss our clean energy vision, the progress we're making to reduce emissions, and the outlook for the climate policy here in Washington. Our guests are Brian Wolf, EEI's Executive Vice President of Public Policy and External Affairs, and Emily Fisher, EEI's Senior Vice President of Clean Energy. They're here to share their insights on clean energy and how we can achieve a 100% clean energy future. Brian and Emily, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I know you both are proud of the work EI's member companies are doing to lead the clean energy transformation. When you think about all the progress that is being made across the industry, what are some facts that may surprise our listeners? And Brian, let's start with you. Well, I'd probably say this is probably one of my favorite weeks of the year. you know, climate week, or if you will, around Earth Day, and then also climate week in the fall in October um, in the United States and United Nations plays a role in that. It's it's always two favorite times of year for me uh, to be able to talk about clean energy. Everything is so focused on uh, climate and clean energy um, around this time. And particularly, I think Emily would agree, I think we're at an inflection point um, you know, with regards to our approach to uh, clean energy and really solving uh, our, the climate crisis in general. And, you know, I think that we all know some of the biggest, you know, numbers right now are 40% of the electricity in the United States already comes from clean, carbon-free resources. And I, you know, I think we know some of those things that are, that are maybe more obvious. Uh, that number is the lowest level since 1978, more than 40 years. Um, I think there's some other numbers that really grab my attention more, though. And um, and Brian, I had reached out to you this morning because we were we were kind of back and forth uh, because it makes me think of where we were 11 years ago. The industry supported a policy proposal out of the House. Uh, at the time, Waxman-Markey, uh, and that legislation called for 17% below 2005 levels by 2020. Uh, if you think about where we were in 2020, we were at 33, so almost twice that. Uh, with you know, Waxman-Markey was not successful uh, in the Senate. It did pass the House, but not successful in the Senate, so it was never signed into law. But, you know, that being said, the industry really didn't need that mandate because we were we already had our own mandate. And that was a mandate from our customers. Customers really demanded and industry really wanted to meet customers where they were and where they are today, uh, which is absolutely for for 100 percent clean energy uh, in the future. So I look at some of those um, numbers and especially the one in and around uh, the clean power plan, uh, which Emily was so integral and and worked very closely with that. 
Um, but you know, that called for 32% below 2005 levels by 2030. And again, today, you know, in 2020, we ended 2020 at 40%. So that kind of gives you an idea in 2020. So if we think about in 2030, uh, where the industry might be and what we're capable of. I, I actually do be able to, I think we all believe uh, that we're going to do better uh, than we think that we're going to do. Um, but that's really tough. I think we have a lot of regional differences uh, that we embrace, uh, but clearly as an entire industry, uh, that's what we look towards. So those are some of the numbers that I think are a little bit maybe off point or not as, you know, maybe not on everyone's uh, talking points. Uh, every day, but those are a couple that really capture my attention. Great. And what jumps out to you, Emily? Well, I love that Brian did what he always says, which is he went back to go forward and he looked at where we were and now is looking at, you know, where we are and where we could go. Um, I often say, I think you've heard me say this recently, Brian, that I wish I could go back in a time machine and talk to like 2010 Emily or clean power plant Emily and tell her what the industry has done um, she'd be really surprised by a lot of that data, but, you know, some data that's really struck me in the last five years, this just, a lot of this just came out because the Energy Information Administration just put out a bunch of data at the end of March, is that in the last five years, we've increased um, storage deployment, battery storage deployment by 400%, solar deployment by 216%, and wind deployment by 59%. These are huge numbers, right? And the thing that really excites me is that um, EIA, the Energy Information Administration, said that 2020 was a banner year for wind and solar being brought onto the grid, and they already know that 2021 is going to beat that, right? So I totally agree with Brian. Different parts of the country are going to have different trajectories, but we're all moving in the same direction, and it's a really positive direction toward putting a lot of um, carbon-free, clean resources onto the grid, and, and that's really exciting. Emily, it's interesting that you said that because it it reminds me of when you when you just talked about a minute ago, which is kind of funny. But you know, knowing you, it's not so funny because I know you take it seriously when you think about clean power plan, Emily, or you know, Waxman Markey, Emily, back then uh, in that point in time. But aren't you really surprised today that some of that same old thinking? you know, the industry 11 years later, we are, I mean, that transition is happening much faster than any of us could have ever anticipated. And is it strange that some of the same old thinking about they're clean and they're dirty uh, comes into the vernacular in a way that is old thinking? Yeah, it's, it's really surprising to me, actually. Although maybe one of the things we'll help uh, with this podcast is help further explain to folks how different the industry is. But, you know, this idea that some some electric companies are still reticent and still not, you know, on the clean energy pathway um, is kind of funny. Like, look at all the things that the member companies see in public, look at what they're saying. So many of our members have um, voluntary commitments to significantly reduce their emissions, you know, by 2030, 2040, and 2050. Um, so yeah, that is a kind of a funny old thinking thing. And um, it just doesn't really feel like the industry we work for anymore. And um, gosh, I, you know, as you pointed out, Brian, it's all driven by our customers. Customers want clean energy and we're trying to provide it for them, but it's, it's really made possible by 
so many amazing technological innovations that have made it affordable for customers. And every year, you know, I believe in the ability of the engineers and the scientists to figure out how to put more clean energy on our system in a, re in a reliable way. So, you know, I tend to try and focus on the, on the positive stuff. And, you know, I can't think of a single member company that's not like, how do we do more? How do we give more of our customers? How do we keep it affordable and reliable while we're doing this? And Emily, as our companies work to reduce emissions, are renewables the only tools that they have to drive down emissions? No, I'm actually really excited lately that the conversation seems to have flipped a little bit and we're not only talking exclusively about renewables, although I am really excited about our renewables data, as I just said, but the focus on clean is so important. There are so many different tools. We have a lot of existing tools that we need to preserve. I think one of those for sure is existing nuclear. It provides 20% of our, of our electricity, and that's actually 50% of that 40% that Brian was talking about, uh, of the clean energy that uh, was delivered to customers in 2020. Um, so keeping existing nuclear on our system right now really helps us continue to go forward because if that were to close, you know, new zero emitting resources would instead be replacing, you know, those zeros instead of replacing fossil emissions. And I think that's really important. But I also really believe, like I said before, in the ability of the engineers and the scientists to come up and come up with new stuff. And like, there are new technologies out there. Like, what about hydrogen? Everyone's talking about that. We need to make room in our carbon free future for innovation. And I think that also helps with the affordable and reliable piece. You just never know, you know, when a technology is going to break through and become really affordable. And we saw that with solar and wind. We need to make sure we have space for other technologies to do the same thing. And Emily, what role does natural gas play in helping keep uh, energy reliable and affordable for customers? So I really think of natural gas as a renewable support technology. It really helps us integrate more renewables onto our systems right now because it has that ability to respond to changes in demand and changes in what's being produced by renewable facilities on a moment to moment basis. And electricity is complicated and we really need to do that balance on a moment to moment basis. So, you know, um, natural gas is really important right now for us to be able to continue to keep the system reliable while we increase the amount of renewables that we're deploying. And, um, you know, I think the role of gas will change over time, but right now, you know, pretty much every study I've ever looked at, studies that have been released in the last, you know, six months, really looks at natural gas and the combustion turbine fleet that uses natural gas as essential to reliability as we get cleaner. And you talked a little bit about technology innovation there. So, Brian, EI often says that technology helps to drive the timeline to 100% clean energy future. Why is that the case? Well, it's a little bit like Emily said, I think we have to be able to think about uh, technology, deploying technology, and certainly uh, with the eye on it being eventually reliable, uh, affordable. Um, I think that the, the affordability part of deploying a technologies uh, like Emily described is, is key, simply because when you think about it, Think about other things in society, te other technologies in society. Um, and it could be just as you as a consumer, if you think about when something is initially uh, introduced in society as a, uh, as a technology uh, advancement, think about that. We always ended up paying more in the beginning. And then over time, as those things were commercially deployed um, and really executed that way, they the prices of those fall over time, as Emily pointed out with wind and solar. You know, I think that I'd like to say that that we're literally visionaries when it comes to uh, clean energy technologies. Um, 
I guess that would be a little bit of a stretch, but I would say that we started early in 2020. Uh, we launched a carbon-free technology initiative. We knew that if we weren't doing that work to be able to surface all of the technologies that would need to exist to be able to achieve 100% clean energy future, we knew that we were gonna have to expand the research development, demonstration and deployment of all of these renewables and all of these technologies. So whether or not you're thinking about advanced renewables, long duration storage, you're thinking about fusion technology, you're thinking about hydrogen, uh, you're thinking about small modular reactors, all of those, you know, were, were part of our initiative. And we partnered with labor, environmental NGOs uh, that partnered with us to be able to look at these technologies and say, with each of them, what will it require? Then what we did was we had to formally launch that uh, technology initiative, which we did in March last month. All right, we formally launched it. Now what we have to do is we have to do several things. We have to be able to inform the administration's budget on these issues. Then we have to go over to Congress, right, and make sure that money is in the budget and is passed legislatively by Congress in appropriations with regards to these technologies, okay? So we know that the longer term future of what Emily was describing and us getting to 100% clean energy future is completely dependent on the maturation of these technologies. So when we think about the RDD&D, that research development demonstration and deployment, we really have to think about broader commercialization. How quickly can we do that? The faster that we do that, the faster what Emily was really describing is that out year conundrum, right? When you're looking at 2035, 2040, 2050, what are we going to need at that point in time? And a lot of the legislative proposals right now coming out of Congress describe those technologies, describe when we're going to need them and in a timely timely manner. So I think that's key uh, to going forward. I think that's absolutely key at 100%. Now, looking at Congress and the administration, like you mentioned, research and development deployment, those obviously are a priority right now. But what are some of EEI's other priorities and can you discuss what the political outlook might look like? I, I really think there's a couple of areas when I think about the, and ex, that's why the industry broadly supports a clean energy standard um, uh, coming out of Congress. Um, there, there are several clean energy standard proposals, uh, more than a few uh, actually coming out of Congress right now. Um, not really any one right now is really coming to the forefront because I think we're at the very beginning of that. But as we look through this, I, like I, I told you, absolutely going hand in hand with that has to be the appropriations in and around the technology, has to be in, a, in and around supportive tax policy. Uh, for example, going further, it has to be around critical transmission and energy grid uh, infrastructure. Um, that has to be a big part of it. Um, I, I absolutely, you know, another area that we're very passionate about clearly is the prospect and this moment in time we are in right now to be able to get policies that support electric transportation and charging infrastructure. And I think those are some of the key areas that really are, to Emily's point, are going to help us accelerate through this transition. And, and when I say that, I'm really thinking of not only our power sector responsibility, 
and what we're doing, but I'm also talking about the broader sector. What will it mean as we look at an economy sector approach, bring in the industrial sector and the transportation sector into the mix as well? Is there anything there you want to add, Emily, or is there anything maybe that we might expect to see out of the, the regulatory side? So some of the federal agencies and how they're looking at the whole government approach to reducing emissions. Well, first, I, I just want to agree. You know, it's good for me to agree with Brian, but I do agree with him. Um, I really want to agree with Brian in that the focus should also be on what we can do from an economy wide perspective. We can make a lot of progress toward uh, carbon-free economy goals by leveraging the power sector, but we're certainly not going to do it by ourselves. And, um, you know, while we're going to focus on things like a clean energy standard, those investments in electrification, like transportation electrification, are going to be so huge for helping us to make progress in other sectors. You know, while um, the Hill is thinking about what they can do to help support and accelerate clean energy progress, um, the regulatory regime is also going to be doing its thing because we always do those things at uh, the same time here in the U.S. We always have a regulatory approach while we're talking about legislation. And I think President Biden has been really clear that he wants a whole of government approach to climate change and to reducing emissions and to bringing on more clean energy. Um, and so we're going to see activity, I think, not just from the Environmental Protection Agency, but we're going to see a lot of activity from the Department of Interior, um, you know, the Department of Energy. I think a lot of different folks will be involved, but, um, you know, what's really important to me, I think, is that the Environmental Protection Agency is going to be focused not only on reducing carbon emissions, but also really focused on reducing sort of what I would call more traditional pollutants. Um, so the air quality issues are going to be big, water quality issues are going to be big. Our members have already made tremendous progress in reducing those emissions, but I think that's really also going to be a focus. You know, greenhouse gases are well-mixed pollutants. Once they go up into the atmosphere, their impacts are felt everywhere, but some of those other more traditional pollutants impacts are felt really in localized places. Um, they don't tend to travel too far. And so I think we're going to see a focus on that, particularly through the lens of environmental justice and looking at communities that are overburdened with pollution. Um, and methane's so, also been a big focus this year. Yeah, methane is definitely a focus. It's actually a more powerful greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. Um, and so I expect to see really soon, maybe even um, before the end of this month, uh, standards for cars that will focus on tailpipe emissions and maybe new standards that focus on methane emissions from the production and transportation of natural gas. So um, both of those were flagged in uh, uh, executive orders that President Biden signed within hours of becoming president. And so I expect to see action on both of those. So that'll be interesting. Usually the focus, at least it feels like to me at EPA is on us. And already we can see that the focus is gonna be on this economy-wide approach that Brian was talking about. And EEI came out in support of new methane regulations, right? Yes, you are totally correct about that, Brian. As the largest users of natural gas in the US economy these days, um, I think our members think it's critical to their larger clean energy objectives to make sure that the gas that they are using to support this clean energy transition is as clean as it can get. And there are some um, relatively low cost constructive ways to minimizing methane emissions from the production and transportation of natural gas. And so we definitely support that. And we've been working with our partners in that value chain to help them identify 
um, where those emissions are coming from, how to report them as a first step toward how to regulate them and to reduce them. Great. And we let off the show today talking about how it's Earth Day and President Biden has convened world leaders for a two-day global climate summit. Does EEI ever participate in the global discussions on reducing carbon emissions? And maybe, Brian, you want to lead off here? Right. Thanks. That's a, a great question, and it's very timely. Uh, but yeah, EEI, is, we've been a longstanding business observer uh, to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. And uh, I, I think I've, Emily, I, th I think you and I were in Poland together. Krakow, I think, was the last time we were together at one. Yep. Um, and uh, and hopefully this November we'll be in Glasgow, Scotland together. But absolutely, we take our our role as being not only um, a climate leader domestically, but we have an international membership as well globally uh, around the world. And uh, and we we absolutely convene um, at at the uh, as we say the UNFCC. Uh, meetings, but we abso absolutely do convene there. We participate, we support a um, lot of our member companies around the world also participate uh, in those discussions. Um, but yeah, we, we really take those seriously and our members understand that addressing the impacts of climate change, um, it, it really takes is going to take a global response. So being a part of those global conversations, discussions, um, now, that's not necessarily in the formal meetings uh, that they have there for the delegates, uh, but it really is about establishing, you know, our industry, the positioning, uh, really leaning in, um, and, and particularly, Brian, and, and thanks for pointing this question out, but particularly as we're rejoining the Paris Agreement, you know, such a timely uh, place for us to be and, and engaging uh, in the global conversation in and around this. So, uh, yeah, couldn't be more timely, especially this week. I know we plan to see some executive orders uh, come out of the administration, as well as some additional uh, policy recommendations that they have related to uh, the global climate climate challenge. You know, Great. it's a fun fact, Brian, with respect to the international participation of EEI and its members in the UNFCCC meetings. The power sector in the United States has reduced its emissions more than any other country in the world, except for the United States. So it's really important for our members to go to those meetings and talk about what it is they've been able to do in an affordable, reliable way with respect to reducing emissions. It's really an example. You, know, you hear a lot of discussion about what other countries are committing to, but our members are actually doing it. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you bring that up, Emily, because I'm still taken back by, you know, just this, this uh I think you and I would agree that last year and this year, we're having a different experience all the way around. Like when you and I are engaging with policymakers, when you and I are engaging with administration officials, we're actually seeing some of our messages being parroted back to us, which is, you know, it's so um, refreshing to hear that our, our progress and the pace of our transition is being recognized because, like you said, it's it's we're a global leader. Uh, we should be recognized as one for sure. Totally agree with that. And one final question as we approach the end of the clock here. Earth Day is an opportunity to recognize and celebrate efforts to improve the environment. So we're focused in electricity here, but it's obviously bigger than that. As we wrap up, can you each share one way you're planning to celebrate Earth Day or one thing that you do regularly to protect the environment? Well, I'll go first. Um, maybe you guys know that I didn't own a car for a decade, 
Um, so my contribution was not adding to transportation emissions, but when I did go and buy a car, I bought an electric car. Um, and so um, I have a lot of fun uh, making sure that I stick within the limits of the uh, battery of my car so that I'm always running on a lot clean electricity. So how long have you had the car now? Um, I've had the car for about, I think, a year and a half now. And how about you, Brian? All right. Mine's going to be a little bit more interesting uh, because <laughs> I've, ne I've, ne I've never done it before. Um, so I have, you know, something people don't know about me is I've, I've literally probably moved every uh, two to three years uh, since I moved to Washington 21 years ago. And, um, and so I've done a lot of flipping of houses. And what I realized that I wanted to start doing was I wanted to start renovating and renovating homes and flipping them, but doing it sustainably. So I've, I've started sourcing locally uh, with that. I've started making sure equipment's being used officially, minimum waste, making sure that the way they do water and everything into the home is different. And, you know, so it's just a, it's just a different process because it's not just about like, for example, throwing maybe water conservation and solar on the roof and things like that. It really goes a level deeper, which I was excited to learn about. So I'm, I'm kind of a geek when it comes to um, learning something new as, as related to something like this. I've just, I think I've now flipped probably this is my seventh house. So I, I, I want to make sure that I can do it and with as little impact on the environment as possible. And I know that our industry sees energy efficiency as an incredibly powerful tool. So I'm sure the home buyers appreciate all the energy efficient thinking that went into the planning there. Oh, I'm, I'm actually now I'm I just bought my smart home package and, you know, the old smart home packages um, if you all will remember, they were just really related to like, you know, your music, your lights, you know, um, your temperature, things of that nature. And now it goes much deeper than that. And um, it, it really does get to the way the systems in the house work. Um, but it, it's, uh, again, like when we were talking earlier, Emily, about uh, new technologies, I can tell you the new smart home technologies in this space on, and sustainability are very expensive to monitor the entire uh, operation of your home. Uh, it's a completely different deal, but it's very expensive right now. So I'm hoping those energy efficiency products, Brian, get cheaper. Sounds good. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. But again, happy Earth Day and thank you both for joining us. Happy Earth Day. Great. Happy Earth Day. Yeah. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening and come back next week to hear more from experts and industry leaders who are talking about the innovative ways electric companies are building a cleaner, smarter, stronger energy future for the customers and communities they serve. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Electric Perspectives. I'm your host, Brian Real. Thanks for listening.